Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies, or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. This has certainly been a very trying week for world events. Uh, for So for some people, I know that you know, the Oscars may be the first thing from your mind right now, and that's completely fair and valid. Um, I won't dwell on, for, on the sit, sit current events too much since that's really outside of my forte right now, at least through this medium. But if you are looking for something to watch related to current events that you know may have you, you know, thinking a little bit more about how we all got here, uh, the documentary Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom, was an Oscar-nominated in 2015 documentary feature film about student protests in Ukraine related to joining the European Union. Uh, it's currently available on Netflix, uh, recommended in the on the Oscars Death Race uh, Discord uh, by fellow Death Racer, some guy named James. So definitely give that a check out. Uh, in other less serious news, uh, more related to this podcast, we have a couple more racers who have completed their race as of the time of recording. We're up to 28 total from 23 last week. So congratulations to the following racers for finishing. Uh, Rat- Ratun Maku, uh, Dice Packets, Flavio Alberto CV, Ponyo 90, and Domes Dag Ding. Uh, congratulations to you five. Um, you know, we still have a bunch of people still racing. I think, you know, probably between writing this and recording this, I think a couple other more people finished uh, who I'll announce next week. Um, so yeah, keep it added, folks. Um, as far as myself, um, you know, I'm up to 27 films out of the 38 features uh, with 15 sorts still remaining as well. Uh, since last week, I've added two more to the International Features nominees, Worst Person in the World from Norway and The Hand of God from Italy, as well as Spain's Parallel Mothers, which is nominated in two other categories. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom before recording, though it turns out somehow I had forgotten The Hand of God, uh, so you know, I technically am still on pace what I had originally set out for myself. Um, in addition, this past Thursday, I watched Serrano, which I'll cover more in depth next episode with other technical nominees, but hopefully I'll be able to catch on Lunana this weekend as well. Uh, also, heads up, uh, apparently the documentary Attica, one of the documentary feature films, is cur- is uh, currently on Amazon Prime, but will be leaving the platform on the 28th, uh, which will be up before this next episode comes out. So make sure you, you try to watch that this weekend if you haven't yet already. Um, I well, I'll definitely be doing my best too, and I likely won't cover it next weekend, but you know, wait for it to cover with other documentaries as well. Um, that said, this is all between you know having to watch a concert, uh, going out to a concert uh, this coming weekend, and also uh, needing to pack and move. Uh, you know, starting next week. So um, actually, I've already been packing, uh, but the moving starting next week. So uh, wish me luck for being able to finish these. I you know the the sort animated the sort film programs are available in theaters now, um, but I don't know when I'm going to get time to go down to the IFC Center to watch those. So uh, anyway, wish me luck there as well. Now, before we get to talking about these films, you know, there is some news related to the Oscars this year. Uh, The biggest news, in case you haven't seen it, is that it was announced that the Academy would be changing production uh, somewhat for this year's ceremonies. Now, in past ceremonies, they had all 20-some-odd categories present live over the three-hour telecast. Now, as many problems as the Oscars have overall, which I won't get into here, at the very least, they, to their credit, they do try to have each brand get their Oscar moment, um, you know, from the high acting profile, acting, directing, and writing uh, categories to the more technical editing, sound, production, design, 
uh, even to the sword categories as well, which you know really doesn't have a lot of uh, space in any other uh, awards ceremony. Um, it's a chance to get recognized live on national broadcast, even if sometimes certain categories get played off sooner than others. Um, however, uh, as much as the board of, of governors of the academy need to please their membership and make sure everyone gets their time to sign, they also need to appease their masters at ABC, who have the rights to the broadcast, which they pay a lot of money for and goes and, and pays for a lot of the operational costs of running the Oscars. Uh, with ratings dropping each year, with last year being the lowest ever, the Academy definitely has the pressure to present an engaging product for the network that draws in an audience and those advertising dollars. So in an effort to appeal to a more general audience, uh, they're planning on having eight categories have their awards presented an hour prior to the broadcast in the Dolby Theater, um, and then that, those presentations and their Oscar moment speeches will be recorded and presumably edited into the live broadcast at some point. Uh, those categories are the three sword categories, editing, makeup and hair, score, production design, and sound. Now, as you can expect, there was a lot of drama. Uh, even if all the categories will still at some point be presented in the live broadcast, these eight categories definitely felt as though they were getting the sword shift and were seen as lesser categories than the other high-profile above-the-line categories and even other technical categories, um, since presumably those speeches would be cut for time. Uh, the ACE, the Guild for Cinema Editors, posted an open letter to the Academy decrying this, um, and there were several online campaigns for nominees and other categories to boycott the protests and try to put for all 23 categories to be presented in life. I think I saw something where, like, the sound rants, um, you know, previously they had had two awards, um, you know, uh, you know, sound mixing and sound editing, and they had compromised and said, you know, just to make it go faster, uh, you know, the, award, the, the awards were a little bit shorter. We're going to combine our two categories into one um, if, as so long as we don't, you know, get, you know, played off during commercial or something like that, uh, uh, which, you know, happened to some degree back in uh, 2019 when cinematography, live action sorts, editing, and makeup were supposed to be presented during commercial breaks um, and only two of the five song nominees, you know, playing throughout the night. Um, so, you know, this, this, this outlast, that outlast in 2019 uh, was essentially rolled back um, due to protest, um, but it seems as if the Academy is having another go at this, um, which also mirrors their attempt to have a popular film category and try to attract the general audience uh, you know, that year, which was you know, rolled back as well. But this year, they're doing it with the uh, Favorite Film Twitter Award from the year. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely... Uh, um, you know, that's definitely the Academy trying to, to, you know, be more, I guess, general audience, which, you know, putting my editorializing spin on it, I get where the Board of Governors is coming from. I, I don't envy their position in the slightest of having to answer to multiple masters, both the both you know the, the Academy members, but also, you know, ABC and those sponsors. You know, the Academies have been increasingly slipping into irrelevancy as, you know, popular consumption of their most nominated films, you know, the top best picture films, just really deviate from, you know, the biggest blockbusters, the films that make the most money that everyone ends up seeing, right? Like, you know, probably the, the one that's probably been seen the most is, I don't know, probably, I mean, Spider-Man No Way Home for sure, but that was, that's in like a very minor category. Um, you know, I, I would have probably Dune or maybe even a Maybe even don't look up things in Netflix's suites are are some of the more viewed ones, but all the other ones, you know, um, you know, uh, Power the Dog, for example, that doesn't have nearly as much reach as, as kind of like the main blockbusters, which makes you know it doesn't line up with general audience taste, which is what they they and ABC really want. Um, Gone is the day where you know Oscar films were the films that everyone were watching. Uh, Death Race is notwithstanding, anyway. Um, and where I can appreciate their attempt at compromise by having you know the Oscar moments still in the broadcast as 
opposed to hidden in commercial breaks, um, even if they're doing it by recording it earlier. I don't think trying to pick and choose which categories, you know, down the line, you know, down further down the line, um, or recorded earlier, it doesn't really help with that irrelevancy problem at all. If it's still going to be this aired, it's still going to be like nearly three hours, right? Um, I don't think, you know, people are like, oh, wow, they, they're not going to be airing, they're not going to be doing uh, uh, editing live. Wow, okay, I guess I'm going to turn tune in now, right? Um, you know, I, I won't say I have, the, I have the answers on what they should do to fundamentally, uh, sort of, you know, fundamentally rigging the films to get nominated so that, you know, we have, a vet, we have No Way Home in Best Picture alongside, you know, No Time to Die and Godzilla vs. Kong and whatever. Though, you know, I, I would say maybe one thing they could start is cutting some of those, uh, those, those um, skits and sketches that don't really have that, that much wide resonance, I guess. Um, and, you know, maybe I would also say having the Muppets. I, I still say the Muppets would be the best presenters for the Oscars. But in any case, I think trying to say that editing is lesser than costume design when editing is arguably one of the most important best picture nominee pre precursors as well as this fundamental to the art of filmmaking. You know, I think just trying to pick and choose who's who, who's above another is, is kind of ludicrous. Not saying that costumes have been one of the ones that have been relegated, but, you know, this just kind of just sucks all around for everyone involved. Um, we'll see if the pressure that everyone's applying changes this six six. six Time around, it seems that they're really fighting back on what not on finally roll this back, um, despite all the protests. So, you know, we'll see where the coming weeks end up. Uh, on the bright side, though, if you are plugged into the Academy of Death Racers uh, Discord uh, server, you'll know that we'll be giving the no category special treatment, as well as giving out our own unique categories. Uh, the Discord has all the details, but as of recording, you know, it's been announced that voting for the Academy of Death Racers ballots uh, and Oscar categories will start March 16th and will end March 22nd, uh, with our our Deathies Awards ceremony taking place the night before the Oscars on March 26th. Um, you know, last year was a blast for the first time doing it. Um, you know, if you're interested, you can be a presenter for one of the awards, or if you have an idea for a fun sketch, um, you know, as much as I was decrying it on the Oscars, you know, if you have an idea for something, hey, uh, you can throw your hat in the ring. I definitely have an idea that I'm I'm workshopping around uh, in, in my spare time. Just, you know, comment in the appropriate channel in the Discord server to be a part of Deathies history. Now, in the meantime, you know, while the Academy, while both the Deathies and the Oscars are a ways off, we are starting to see some of the guilds uh, release their own awards, which you know might give some indicator for who will win on the big night. Though, of course, brands membership voting on a nominee isn't necessarily the same thing when the Academy votes on all the categories. Um, in any case, it, hopefully, this will help you with your Oscar pool down the line. First up, we have the Set Decorators Guild of America, which had their awards February 22nd. Uh, the winners were No Time to Die for Contemporary Film, Being the Ricardos for Period Film, Dune for Science Fiction or Fantasy, and The Friends Dispatch for Comedy or Musical. Now, of these, only Dune is nominated for uh, the Oscar for Best Production Design against Nightmare Alley and Power of the Dog, which lost to Being the Ricardos uh, in Period Film, and Tragedy Macbeth, which lost to Dune for Fantasy... Um, uh, fantasy or or fiction, uh, and West Side Story, which lost to Friends Dispatch for musical comedy. So presumably, you know, with Dune being the only winner here, um, it's kind of the forerunner, um, and I think Nightmare Alley's chances at maybe stealing a win kind of went down. Uh, which, by the way, you know, I actually was on an episode recently of Contra Zoom Pod, friend of the show Dakota had me on to talk through what I thought the uh, the likelihood of uh, different Best Picture nominees getting winning their respective awards would be. Uh, we went over Dune and Nightmare Alley, um, as well as King Richard. So definitely check out that episode. I'll link to it in the show notes below. Uh, anyway, in any case, for Set Decorators Guild of, award of America, this is their second year having an award. Uh, and last year, Mank and Tenet both won awards for the film and were nominated for Pets Production Dine, with Mank taking the win here.
Um, the other guild that has released its awards as of recording is another technical one, Makeup and Hairstyling Guild, presented on February 19th. Uh, Coming to America was the big winner here with three wins for contemporary makeup and hairstyling as well as special effects makeup. Uh, Cruella took makeup for a period or character, and Being the Ricardos took hair for period or character. Now, with Coming to America and Cruella both being Oscar nominees for hair and makeup uh, and Being the Ricardos missing out, uh, presumably the other three nominees, Tammy Faye, Dune, and House of Gucci, losing out here hurts their chances, while Coming to America uh, is probably a little forerunner here at this point based off of this. Um, I know a lot of Death Racers aren't thrilled by Coming to America overall, uh, having to watch it, but you know it seems like it may deserve its Oscar at this point, um, if at least for hair and makeup. Uh, last year, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom won two of the five Guild Awards and went on to win the Oscar, though Pinocchio did win one for special effects makeup, um, and but Birds of Prey wasn't even nominated for winning uh, the two contemporary uh, nominees. Uh, wasn't even nominated for the Oscar. There were none of the contemporary nominees for the Guild War. So um, it was definitely Ma Rainey's based on the win, the win last year. So uh, following that trend, it should be coming to America. Now, in any case, you know, enough about the awards that have already come out. Let's talk about the films I wanted to watch for this episode. Um, this episode will again be looking primarily at films uh, from abroad. I've seen all but Lunana and Drive My Car. Um, you know, plus since Parallel Mothers got an acting nom, I might as well talk about that there. Um, I, and in addition to the other two films that I watched prior to the nominations coming out that got acting nominations as well, being the Ricardos and Spencer. Now, I don't have a ton of specific notes uh, written, uh, written for this episode since, you know, again, moving, don't have time to, to flesh it out like I normally do. Um, so this will be a little bit off the dome. I have like a quick outline. Um, so yeah, forgive any stumbling of my words as I kind of go through this. So first up, we have Worst Person in the World, which is a dark romantic comedy drama directed by Joachim Thier. Um, while he's been selected to be Norway's representative for international feature before, this is his first time being nominated for the final five Os- uh, nominate- nominees. Um, the film follows Julie, a 20-something living in Oslo who navigates through life and relationships. Um, in addition to being nominated for Best International F- Film representing Norway, it got nominated for Best Original Screenplay, which Trier wrote alongside Eskil vote. Um, Julie is played by Renate Reigns Rain, sorry for mispronouncing the name uh, which won her the award for Best Actress at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival where Worst Person in the World had its debut. It's currently releasing in theaters by Neon and has a 97% from critics, 85% from Rotten Tomatoes and a 4.2 out of 99,000 viewers on Letterboxd. So I saw this one this past long holiday weekend, President's Day um, I believe it was a Sunday at the AMC Kips Bay uh, where my friend James actually who he hadn't been to a theater since before the pandemic, so this was me welcoming him back to theaters. Um, you know, overall, I really liked it, right? I think uh, it was really interesting the way that he had, like, you know, it, 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 you can totally tell why it was up for screenplay in that it was very intentional with the screenplay. Um, you know, they, it was very explicit. Look, there's going to be uh, a story in 12 chapters with uh, a prologue and uh, epilogue um, and, you know, kind of went through all of that, right? It kind of gave you that sense of anticipation and you can kind of see how things built along and it wasn't like one straight continuous story, right? It was definitely in chronological order, but there was definitely time gaps in between different chapters kind of giving you the slices of life, right? Um, one one way I would one film I would compare it to would be last year's uh, international film winner, uh, another round, right? Both of them are you know northern European uh, films, um, you know one from Denmark, one from Norway, um, who are neighbors or, or pretty close to each other, and they both have you know kind of capture this sense of just 
turning on a camera and following, you know, what presumably could be a, a pretty realistic depiction of someone's life. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of heightened fantasy in there. You know, this is that sequence uh, where kind of like the entire world freezes and she runs through town. Um, same thing with, you know, uh, another round where, where kind of uh, Mads Milkerson dances around. Um, I mean, you know, there's a heightened sense of real of, of realism and a little bit of fantasy to it, but it still feels very realistic. Nothing like, you know, super overly dramatic, right? Um, and I really, really appreciate that. And, you know, it's not... And it's not saying that there's a good or a bad person, despite what the title might say, with worst person in the world. This is truly just a slice of life of just following this person through their life and kind of appreciating the way that they respond to life and making you think about the way you respond to your own life. And I think that is kind of like what I really enjoy about these kind of European slice of life films. Um, I will say, you know, again, the screenplay I did enjoy, though I will say, I think overall looking at the entire category, I think... I think this might have been at least from what the Oscar would consider like a major film, like a major thing, like uh, a major film in contention. Maybe a bit of a weaker year for screenplays. Um, you know, I don't think this would have gotten in had there been maybe like a little bit of a stronger, like if the Oscar had been more open to stronger films, like Come On, Come On, for example. I've heard you know others others could have gotten in there, but um, you know. Not saying it is a bad screenplay, but I definitely think that the adapted screenplay category is a lot more stacked than the original screenplay this year. Um, you know, one other thing I liked about this film is that you know it was still, despite having this very European style to it, it wasn't very unapproachable, right? Like I definitely got a real sense of what Oslo was like, but also in the sense that there is this common human element to my American and, and Asian American experience to this European experience. Like, there were points I could connect to, but it also still, you know, especially I really love the sense of the the, the geography of the city, um, which played a part. I really enjoyed that as well. So, you know, overall, I would, you know, I, I, I originally had this at a four out of five when I first saw it, but mulling on it a little more, I think I'm going to bump it up to a five out of five overall. Um, you know, I don't see it winning any of the categories it's in. You know, I think Drive My Car, based off of hype, again, I still have to see it myself, um, is probably the favorite to win uh, uh, international feature. And then Best Original Screenplay, um, you know, I think, you know, getting nominated as an international film is always hard for another, an international film to get. It has happened before. Um, but, you know, I don't think, I think it has an outside side of it, but it's not very likely to, to win. So um, still great, glad that, that this did make it into the death race that I was actually able to watch it. Definitely appreciate that. Um, another film that you know I'm glad that I got to see uh, the death race. I got added into the death race, which you know some weren't thinking might make it in. Um, is Parallel Mothers. Um, this is a Spanish drama film written and directed by Pedro Almodovar. His sixth film to get an Oscar nomination, including last year's uh, Pain and Glory, which was another surprise for me, which I really enjoyed watching. Um, this Parallel Mothers follows the lives of two mothers living in Spain, played by his longtime collaborator Penelope Cruz and relative newcomer uh, Milena Smith. Uh, Parallel Mothers premiered as the opening film for the Venice International Film Festival, where Cruz was awarded Best Actress before releasing in Spain September the uh, October month, October the following month, um, and it was the closing film festival of the 2021 New York Film Festival. It's currently being released in theaters by Sony Pictures, um, and while it's not Spain's submission for Best International Feature which uh, went to The Good Boss, starring uh, Penelope Cruz and fellow uh, Best uh, Lead Actor um, you know, nominee Javier Bardem. Uh, Parallel Mothers was nominated for Best Actress for Penelope Cruz, um, as well as Best Original Score provided by Alberto Iglesias, who has been nominated three times before for The Constant Gardener, The Kite Runner, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. 
uh, Pale Mothers currently has a 97% and 81 uh, from critics, 81% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes, and 3.6 out of 55,000 viewers on Letterboxd. So this one I saw at the Angelica Film Theater um, uh, on Monday, uh, the President's Day, with, again, also my friend James. Um, I actually was about 10 minutes late to the movie because I thought it was actually started 20 minutes earlier than it, than I thought, uh, 20 minutes later than it actually did. So, and, and so yeah, I kind of had to rush to get in there, though I kind of got the gist of what I, of the ten minutes I had missed, I came in at the scene uh, when they're already in the in the hospital. Um, now you know, obviously starting off, you know, this again, this one wasn't Spain's international feature, uh, international submission, which many people consider the mistake. Um, though looking at the good boss, I can see based on the accolades it received at the Goya Film Festival, um, seems to be why they selected it. Um, and in any case, uh, the the this, the categories it was nominated for. First off, actress for Penelope Cruz. Um, she definitely, I think, pull, pulled a lot here. She has a huge range of emotions every kind of every sort of emotion you can have um and 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 I think she, you know, this definitely shows her expertise and her experience as a lead actress here um kind of putting herself in so many different situations so um honestly we'll talk about one of the my, my probably my favorite uh, actress a little bit later in the in the show um but I would put Penelope Cruz as my number two, actually, to I want to win the Oscar. Um, now, one thing that was actually interesting, which, you know, I think may, maybe might have held it back from maybe other categories, like a, an original screenplay ca- a nomination, um, is that, you know, it kind of plays around. There were definitely moments in the film where it felt like, hey, this feels like something out of a telenovela, right? It feels like something, you know, you know, again, minor spoilers here, but, you know, switch that birth in, in kind of all those tropes, like the, the Forsaken Lover and all that, right? Like all of these different things feel like something's out of a telenovela, which I read an analysis online that like, hey, yeah, this kind of is the point where it's using, making use of the tropes and format of a telenovela to tell like a really heartbreaking story that pr- pr- presumably, you know, is actually relevant socially to, to Spain today, um, which I really appreciated that. Um, now, I, I think this film might be, I think, a little bit more resonant, you know, so where I think Worst Person in the World kind of is a very fairly universal beyond being, you know, I mean, it is in Oslo, but a lot of the, and maybe some parts, like some of the specific geographies and maybe like the, the comic book culture presented in Oslo uh, in Worst Person in the World is kind of a little bit more specific there. This one had even more of like a cultural specificity here with um, the Spanish Civil War and kind of the whole history behind that being a central driving force of that film. Um which I don't think as an American I really appreciated, though kind of in hindsight looking and doing a little bit of research, I kind of got where it, I kind of was able to retroactively appreciate it, though it just didn't have the same emotional impact it had for me as I'm sure it would have had for maybe a more Spanish audience. Um, but, you know, all, all that aside, I think it was a, a pretty decent. I think kind of like the ending is like, you know, Almodovar is really good at like that ending final shot. Um, you know, even like his the closing shot from Pain and Glory, I, I really appreciate it as well. But thinking about like okay, like it, they kind of went through this whole crazy story with all of these you know in, intertwining things and relationships that have been built up, right? It's kind of just like ended on like this specific thing about like the Spanish Civil War, and it's like so many questions about like where does, does their life kind of go from here? Which maybe goes back to the, the really weird open endedness that sometimes telenovelas can have, leaving themselves open, but 
Um, not the tightest screenplay, right? Um, you know, I think uh, I think that that worst person in the world, just comparing the two, had like a better narrative and kind of a better takeaway of what you should take away from the film. That's kind of a little bit more obvious. Um, this one, I think, is more about the feel of the film, right? Um, and I think part of the, what really helped the feel of this one was the score, which again, this is also nominated for. Um, again, it, it it definitely stood out. I can't I can't put into words exactly what about the score. St- worked for me but you know it definitely i definitely felt remember there were moments where it's like oh like the score is really adding to the emotion of this particular scene and in hindsight you know i looking it over i think this is probably my second favorite score of all the ones um you know i think score is a really stacked category this year um and so but i think just kind of gut gut feeling this is probably like my second favorite of all the scores i've listened to this year so um Overall, again, I really enjoyed Parallel Mothers, just like I enjoyed Pain and Glory, another happy uh, inclusion in the Oscars death race. Um, you know, probably give it like a four out of five overall. Some of that cultural specificity prevented me from truly connecting with it, um, but still very, very solid effort from from Almodovar and, and Cruz. Um, yeah, so... You know, finally, the last you know international film that I watched uh, this this particular week uh, is Hand of God, and that is a semi autobiographical drama film written and directed by Italian director Paolo Sorrentino. It follows the story of young Fabietto, played by Filippo Scotti, who grows up in Naples, where his fa- with, with his family before tragedy strikes them. Um, it debuted at the Venice International Film Festival, where it won the Grand Jury Prize, functionally their second place pri- uh, prize of the festival. It had a limited release in theaters in November last year before debuting on Netflix uh, in December where you can currently watch it. Currently nominated only for Best International Feature on behalf of Italy, which is uh, Almod- which is uh, Paolo Sorrentino's second nomination in the category after his 2014 win for The Great Beauty. Uh, Hand of God currently has 83% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 79% from audiences, while Letterboxd put it at 3.8 out of 75,000 viewers. So, I'm mean, going to not buried the lead. This one was just not for me. Um, my thing was, uh, there were some really weird lines in here. Um, you know, the one that just stands out is like, you're not done brushing my slit, which I'm not going to, for anyone who hasn't watched it yet uh, and is listening to this somehow, like, it's just weird, basically. Um, also, the fact that this is kind of like supposedly autobiographical about Sorrentino's growth in Naples has me like really side eyelining, eyeing him for a little bit. Um, I think part of what made me not really click with this film is that none of the characters presented were really likable or even charismatic right like you could have someone who's like a scumbag but they still have charisma to them that makes you at least connect to them on some level even if you don't agree with them right no no one in this film had anything redeemable no one in this film had any sort of charisma to him like you know no no offense to Filippo Scotti for his portrayal of Fabietto but he just kind of looked like knockoff Timothy Salome um which you know I think like the most outstanding like the most part of I, that sticks out most in my mind is just like his Walkman around him all the time right like and you know just the writing of just like you know it, it feels like it's two different stories crammed into one. I kind of get, you know, it's supposed to show the happy beginning of the family in the first half of the film, literally almost exactly at the one-hour mark through the two-hour film. 
the first hour is like, oh, here's this family, here's the life that they have together, which they never really did, did a good job of making me feel like it was like a enjoyable, happy family life. Um, no, I could see wh- why it was supposed to be taken that way, but still, no. Uh, and then the second half is like this tragedy, which like, what are we supposed to take away from this tragedy, right? And you know, he crams in like this la- this ten minute you know encounter with supposedly like this this Italian director who presumably is was actual an actual mentor figure to Sorrentino growing up. Um, and so obviously, you know, oh, it's about film and this guy loves film and he ends up making film from his trauma and pain. And like, I didn't really get any sense of that. He really loved film before all this, right? Um, you know, sir, he went to like watch some film suits and whatnot, but that didn't really connect to me. The whole thing with like him and falling into the sock. I mean, I get that's where the title of the, of the film came from, The Hand of God and all that. But yeah, I just didn't really I didn't really work for me. And I mean, what was up with the little monk, right? I mean, you know, looking, doing some research, the little monk presumably is like some fairy that's supposed to grant wishes or whatever. And that's where it comes from. But as somebody who has no idea who the little monk was, I'm like, what the heck is going on in like the first 10 minutes of the film? Like, what the hell is going on here? Um, now, I will say to its credit, and the only thing keeping me from giving it a one out of five, is that it had some very visually interesting compositions, right? The lighting, the way things were framed, the color grading. There were some parts here that really stood out in terms of how things looked. Um, but I think it was just unfortunately just the fact that, yeah, I mean, sir, it's the, the point of view character is like a horny 16-year-old kid. Uh, but that just made the film very uncomfortable to be watching. I mean, like I legit, I mean, maybe it's my fault for trying to watch it before bed, but I legit fell asleep like three or four times trying to finish this. And then when I ended up, you know, downloading it on my phone to try to w- watch it on the train while I was on my way to to uh, watch Serrano, like I mentioned uh, earlier this week. Uh, it was just like, okay, this is some very awkward scenes to be watching uh, on, the pu- on the public transportation. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I mean, I guess credit to Sorrentino, but I I don't know if, if the nomination is because it's actually good. If the Academy dislikes Sorrentino, um, you know, I kind of I kind of wish that you know a hero from Iran had been nominated. Here. I hadn't seen it, but I've heard a lot of really good things about that. Um, and you know, I I, I I don't know. This one definitely did not do it for me. Um, probably, frankly, my least favorite film for the death race that I've watched so far. Um, so yeah, that's Hand of God for me. Uh, just giving it a two out of five. I definitely appreciate the effort. I definitely get that there's passion here, right? It feels, I don't know, it, it feels really interesting. Just going off on another, another tangent real quick. It feels like, you know, there are three films this year that presumably are, are well, okay, so compared to Parallel Mothers and Worst Person of the World, this is like the most, the film where I think you have to be Italian to really appreciate the Italian nature of this. And just like, maybe that's just the way the family culture is there, that people from Italy will be able to resonate with this film. And maybe they re- they received it a little bit better and so on. And okay, fine, maybe that's the case. Um, and maybe that's what the international category is supposed to do, is to expose you to what, you know, the cultural specificity of specific cultures. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that, yeah, like I said, I'm kind of rambling here. This cultural specificity of different countries uh, in these films and kind of be exposed to that, which I guess I appreciate these films doing, but all but to, if it gets to the point where I can't appreciate a film without getting that cultural context and if, like even a little bit of cultural background, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's doing this category justice. When you know things like worst person in the world or or parallel mothers, there is some sort of universality to this. Universality of these characters. I think it goes back again. These characters just were not likable, not were not relatable at all. 
and I just yeah that that made it hard to engross myself. Um, thinking about other films from this year that had an Italian setting, you know, Luca from Pixar, which you talked about last week. I don't know if that's a more or less authentic Italian depiction uh, compared to what we see here. Presumably, I think it actually would have taken place in a similar time period, if not you know not exactly the same time period. I think Luca's supposed to be set in like the nineteen sixties or something, but. Um, in any case, I mean the fact that you know these, uh, you know those both depict Italy and add on there, you know the, the craziness that is House of Gucci. I mean, you know, I I have no idea whether Hand of God is a good depiction of Italy versus Luca versus or if Luca's just a cater to my American sensibilities or so on. Um, but yeah, I mean I think if assuming they both are accurate depictions, Luca did a much better job of portraying life in Italy in a way that that I as an American could relate to as opposed to, you know, whatever Hand of God was. So, yeah, again, two out of five for Hand of God. There's definitely effort. There's definitely passion here, right? Like, again, this is very much an autobiographical film. You can tell means a lot to Sorrentino. But again, we have another comparison to that in this year also, Belfast, which is an autobiographical film from Kenneth Branagh. While not the best film, I think, this year for the Oscars, certainly is, I think, I can definitely appreciate the heart of that film even more so than here. And the autobiographical nature of it, even though it's a very personal story for... Um, for Kenneth Branagh, he did a really good job of still making it somewhat universal theme thematically uh, and and experientially to someone who didn't grow up in the troubles. You, I really think you need to have been Italian and you had a similar life to Sorrentino to really appreciate this film. So that just makes this one, I think, not as successful of a film, frankly. So. That's my thoughts on Hand of God. Um, and then finally, you know, the other last international film that I have seen. Um, that, well, so, you know, talking about films that I've seen prior to uh, the nominations, um, we have Flea, which we talked about last week, right? I'm not going to repeat all the details, like release date, ratings, and so on. I did that last week uh, in animation, um, you know, which it is nominated for alongside Best Documentary, um, an international film. Um, that said, you know, my, my quibbles with the animated film aside, I can't deny that Flea had an engrossing narrative. Um, it's one of those series where you just realize sometimes that the truth uh, is a lot more of a compelling narrative than fiction can be sometimes. Right? It's one of those things where like, wow, that's supposed to be turned into a movie. Um, the, this story of this refugee was one of those, right? And, you know, I'm always down for more and get, veering a little bit into the documentary category. I don't know if I want to talk about this a third time. Um, like setting the the anime stuff aside, um, you know, I'm down for more unique forms of documentary telling beyond nature shots or talking heads. I really appreciate the documentary films that are like very much lived experiences. Now, I think the oh, this is me talking through my past experience as an individual, and it's, it's close to a talking head experience, right? It's like a first-person account. But the way it's presented, you know, the animated, the animated, you know, flashbacks and the animated storytelling goes away, which I will admit I think helps with giving, despite the animation quality not being the best in my opinion. Um, but I think, like, the true lived experience goes a long way here without having it be like a strictly a talking head with a narrator providing context of what's going on, right? Um, I think my best, my favorite documentaries are the ones that are truly actual on the ground as it's happening lived experiences like Collective from last year um, or Matt or, or, or um, Mole Agent. Um, but yeah, so I really enjoyed those. Now, you know, I will say I was kind of let down by the narrative structure of the film. Like even though it's a documentary, like all documentaries have a narrative to them. You're telling a story, right? You're just framing the story in a 
you know, maybe it's a traditional third act structure. Maybe you have a different uh, format, but it's still you're creating a beginning, middle, of an end, and this character to follow along. Even that character happens to be a real life individual and it's their experiences, right? Um, that's where the editing comes in, even for documentaries. Um, now, I guess it's just kind of you know, I, for me, the the like, I kind of guess the ending and like, oh, the big secret, like twenty minutes in, which okay, that's it made it, it kind of made it like okay, that's not that big a reveal for me when they kind of finally revealed it at the end in the supposedly a big climactic moment, um, and then kind of like there's also this LGBT subplot, which again I appreciate the representation, um, but it's kind of kind of like it was just kind of there. It, they didn't really dig into like the elements. Like it felt very like that could have been put on the cutting room floor to some degree um, i definitely remember when i was watching flea i kind of was like checking the time like is this going to go on for much longer there um and just, yeah the narrative didn't really have much weight in terms of the climax like the, the build-up of the of of what it was just kind of ended with a whimper to some degree right um again now this film i think documentaries do a good job of of exposing or talking about current events maybe through the film lens of the past if it's a historical documentary um, and given the events in the past year with Afghanistan um, kind of this refugee story from 20 years prior I mean it's more relevant today than it has ever been so I will give it credit for that you know originally I had it at a 3 out of 5 actually uh, when I first saw it but then I thought, saw House of Gucci the same weekend and I realized I cannot have this be the same grade as House of Gucci uh, so Flea ends up having a 4 out of 5 for me uh, now again, since Penelope Cruz got nominated for Best Actress here, uh, I figure I might as well also take this opportunity to talk about uh, some other films that got some acting nominations I saw before the nominations. Uh, you know, first of those was Being the Ricardos. Uh, this one was a biographical drama written and directed by Aaron Sorkin about the relationship between Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, played by Nicole Kidman and the aforementioned Javier Bardem. Uh, both of these leads got their respective acting nominations, as well as Jakey Simmons uh, getting nominated for playing I Love Lucy co-supporting uh, actor William Frawley. Uh, this one debuted in December, the limited theatrical release before coming to Prime Video December 21st. Uh, critics were and a bit mixed on it, 68%, but audiences were at 75%. Uh, Letterboxd similarly has it at 3.0 out of 55,000 viewers. Now, I'd actually watched this uh, in anticipation for having it be one of my best picture likelies, um, you know, before the season, before it kind of dropped off of the top 12 or so. Um, but I had seen it for, you know, presumably for the death race. And, you know, I'm, you know, in that sense, I'm kind of glad I got nominated so that that, that wasn't a waste. Um, I, know, I know a lot of people have not really great things to say about this film. I can see why from a certain perspective. You know, that said, I don't think it's as bad as most people talk think talk about it think it is. Um, it is very Sorkin-y, uh, which is both a good and a bad thing. You know, his writing is great as ever. His direction may leave something to be desired to some degree. Um, I think the framing device of the narration, frankly, of, um, you know, you know, it, it is kind of like a you know hype. It's a it's a hyper. It's a heightened version of reality where, you know, all of these events that take place over this one week didn't actually happen in one week. It was spread out over a couple of months or even years, apparently, according to real life, real life accounts. Um, but, you know, putting it together from there that for um, for dramatic tense, then, OK, that kind of makes sense. Uh, the talking heads of like, you know, like documentaries that would say I was just talking about would flee. Um, not my favorite part of this film since it kind of took away I think from the overall impact but I will say kind of like the recreations of I Love Lucy um, I Love Lucy 
actual you know episodes uh, in black and white, kind of to show the, uh, Nicole Kidman as uh, you know Lucy, Lucille Ball having like a comedic genius behind her. Um, I really appreciate. I really enjoyed those moments. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest I Love Lucy fan, so you know, I know people are saying, oh, like she's you know she doesn't look anything like Lucille Ball. I mean. I, I can't really tell that much because it's not really my favorite. It's not really my thing. So um, I'm not the best person to ask about that. Um, now, I'm not sure how I feel about the ending overall. You know, I, again, not the biggest I Love Lucy fan, but I have, you know, I definitely heard about her and Desi Arnaz's story uh, on some podcasts recently, actually. And from what I can tell, I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the kind of like the, you know, the, 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 oh, what happened after after the events of this movie or whatever. Um, I'm not sure if like, that's like a fully fair depiction of exactly what happened, from, at least from what I know, listening kind of just from my podcast. Um, and, and kind of furthermore, I don't really know what is the film trying to say? Like, what's the takeaway? What's the lesson you're trying to learn from the film? I still really haven't figured out what that is, which I think holds this film back a little bit, uh, screenplay-wise. Now, going to the nominations... Nicole Kidman, um, you know, like I said, I didn't think she was that bad, and you know, I, I'm not, I'm not thrilled about her getting nominated, but I'm also not like saying that she stole a slot from someone else. Um, you know, uh, frankly, I think there's kind of a joke which I kind of half agree with that she was probably nominated more for her AMC commercial of "We Make Movies Better" uh, than actually for this film in specific. Uh, Javier Bardem was actually a real surprise, um, and you know, I think I probably would have preferred Bradley Cooper or even Peter Dinklage from Serrano having seen that now instead. I mean, he does okay here. Um, I don't think it's, like, the best performance ever. I mean, it, it was, like, the fifth spot, and the fifth spot was really just the flex spot. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and then, you know, as always, J.K. Simmons is an absolute delight. Probably my favorite part of the film, frankly speaking. Um, so no complaints here, even if the nomination was kind of out of left field. But I'm always on for more J.K. Simmons. Uh, overall, you know, I would give this film uh, three out of five, probably. I mean, it was a fine, enjoyable way to watch the uh, to spend you know a couple of hours on a Saturday night. But yeah, um, oh yeah, I also watched this one on Amazon Prime. Um, now, uh, Spencer uh, is another one I watched on Amazon, though I had to pay for this one. It's a historical fiction, psychological drama. That's a genre. Uh, directed by Chilean director Pablo Larraín, centered on an imagined crisis that Princess Diana had at a royal family Christmas uh, before her divorce with the titular role played by Kristen Stewart, uh, for which uh, she earned the film's sole nomination for Best Lead Actress. The film premiered at the Venice International Film Festival before com- coming to theaters in November. Uh, it's currently available on VOD. Uh, while general audiences may not have had the right expectations for it, you know, they, they came in wanting one thing, but it ended up getting a 52%. Uh, critics liked it enough at 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Loaderbox has it at 3.8 out of 182,000 viewers. Now, as opposed to being the Ricardos, you know, I watched this one because uh, there was hype for Kristen Stewart, but also, like, you know, my wife is a little bit more into the royal stuff than I am. Um, so, you know, I, 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 you know, I was like five or something when, like, all, when all the Princess Diana stuff went down. So I just have no real relation to any of that beyond, like, what people in my life have been obsessed with her over. Um, so I'm not a big world's person, but I think having seen Kristen Stewart's depiction of her and in, in, in presuming that it is like a fa- fairly faithful depiction in that way, I can see where the charisma comes from um, and the affect and, and where the, the charm comes from. So, um, you know, frankly speaking, I think this film overall was probably one of my favorites of the year last year. I put it in my top 10 best films uh, of last year, um, you know, when I, since I saw it in 2021. Um, and Kristen Stewart, I think of everyone that I've seen in this category is my first pick uh, for the, 
the uh, Oscar. Now, it's a really weird category this year just because, like, it's all over the place. Who knows who's going to win this? I really hope she does win this one. I think she really deserves it. Um, beyond just her acting, though, I think that there's just a lot about this film that I think is going really underappreciated for whatever reason. I think the score by Johnny Greenwood is better than his score for Power of the Dog and so they've been nominated for score as well. Um, and frankly, would have probably even been, would have outranked uh, Parallel Mothers as my favorite score um, behind Dune. And then also, I think it should have gotten nominated for Costumes uh, and also maybe Cinematography as well. I mean, you know, I think the score and the cinematography just did a lot to really create that horror dynamic, right? It's not a historical biopic film, right? Which I think is what people's expectations were that led them to be disappointed. This is pretty much a horror film set through the eyes of Diana. And I think that really, I think that was really well accomplished by the score, by the cinematography, by even the production design to some degree. Um, so I really appreciated all of all of those elements, just coming together into just something like that's Seth's kiss. Um, overall, I gave it a four out of five. You know, I think there is maybe something a little bit lacking to some degree um, that's keeping it from. You know, I, I don't think it was ever going to be best score, mate- best picture material. But I think the, the 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 specific elements, you know, were definitely five out of five elements overall. Um, so yeah, definitely enjoyed this one for sure. Uh, and then finally, as mentioned, I did see Serrano um, this past, uh, um, you know, this past uh, Thursday in theaters. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'll save the uh, full details of this one till next week when I talk about the other technical films such as Coming to America and Eyes of Tammy Faye, as well as Lunana, the hopefully round of the international films not nominated for Best Picture. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, again, you know, if you're interested in taking part in the Deathies uh, on the Academy of Death Racers, um, you know, Discord and website, um, you can, you know, check out the Discord there um, and, 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 and make sure you vote. And I think it might be a little late to, late to join one of our branches, but, um, you know, those will come out. You know, I, I'm part of the Creators fan, so we're working on our biggest cow uh, nominations. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your death race is going on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast or via email OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. If you subscribe to the show um, or, you know, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, or if you're not, make sure you are. But if you are, uh, leave us a review um, or even just share with a friend. Any of that's super helpful. Uh, you can support the show on Patreon if you so choose. Uh, linked in the show notes uh, as well as my letterbox with the username NinjaBoyBoy with an I. And again, you know, check out the Oscar Race Oscars Death Race subreddit, AODR.net, uh, the Oscars Death Race Discord, and of course the uh, Oscars Death Race.com website uh, to track your progress against others. Uh, music is provided by Kevin MacLeod, his subreddit at incompetech.filmmusic.io, editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Uh, and until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying or packing my boxes for my move. But anyway, uh, stay safe, Saturday, everyone. Uh, have, have some fun watching movies. Thank you.